And so I decided to just take the big leap. And in a way it surprised me because I hadn't really given myself permission for a really long time to be a full-time entrepreneur. But now that I was facing that prospect, I sort of realized that I'd always been an entrepreneur throughout most of my life. You're listening to Via Airmail, hosted by me, Michaela Lindsay. This is a podcast where I share the ups, the downs, and the messy in-betweens of running my business, starting some new ones, and figuring it all out as I go. You're listening to episode eight of the Via Airmail podcast. If you're keeping up with things, you will have noticed that I did not release an episode last week. I was pretty head down migrating my photography website across to a new platform. So this week you are getting two episodes and the first one is all about my experience as an entrepreneur. I'm going to be sharing my earliest memories as an entrepreneur, four of the businesses that I have run so far and how I realized that I was meant to be an entrepreneur. So if you're ready to listen to my experiences and my background and everything that's led me to now being a full-time creative entrepreneur, settle in, because that's what today is all about. Almost four years ago, my now husband, then boyfriend, and I moved to London. I had just finished my master's degree in development studies in South Africa, and I had been working part-time, but really full-time, as a wedding photographer, and we had had a small market stall business. And when I moved to London, it was really to get a career, For some reason, I didn't quite consider what I'd had so far as a career. And I wanted the nine to five. I wanted a commute. I wanted a lanyard with a card that I could swipe in and swipe out. And I wanted a monthly salary and security and colleagues and teamwork. And I was so ready to start my career in social innovation and design thinking. And so that's what I did. I had a full-time job first as a innovation manager and then as a senior innovation manager working for a charity in the UK. And I loved having colleagues I loved. And I loved, you know, finishing my day at five o'clock, swiping out, getting on the train and not having to think about anything and not having to worry about anything because I did my job for the day and I would get paid at the end of the month. And there was comfort and security in that. And I had my weekends free and I got obsessed with lots and lots of hobbies. And a lot of my job was challenging and enjoyable and, and creative in all the good ways. But I do think that there was a part now in hindsight that wasn't being fulfilled. When you work for other people, you have to use their rules, their software, their processes. There's a sense of of checking boxes and making sure that you're doing the thing that's expected of you so that you can reach the end of a project and say, cool, I did that. And I think I did find that on some level frustrating, but it felt more like a, a general work frustration than me denying myself anything. After two years, our team was made redundant, which is a British way of saying retrenched or let go. And I suddenly found myself at the beginning of January last year with no job, with three months salary, which I was really grateful for, and with three weddings coming up that I had to pay for. And everything in me said, you're not meant to work for other people. And I'd interviewed for one or two jobs in the industry, but always knowing that I'd maybe stick around for a year or so, and then I'd leave. And I kind of started questioning why I'd never really fully considered that as a full-time career option. 
So there's some early evidence of me being quite an entrepreneurial with some of the earliest business ventures that we remember being a business where I would sell illustrations I'd drawn of my family back to my family. So I would draw a picture of me and my mom, me and my grandparents, or just my grandparents, or just me. I would cut them out, and on the back in pencil, I would write what I was selling them for. So 25 cents, 50 cents, one rand, two rand. And I put them into this box, and I'd very clearly written, this box is for selling. It's not for gifting, this is for selling. I'm all about the profit. And very cleverly, I remember knowing that, well, of course they're going to buy it. If I give my grandmother a picture of the two of us that I've drawn lovingly, and I'm asking, you know, just a small amount, and I'm cute, of course she's going to buy it. Other ventures included creating fabric bookmarks and selling them at markets. My grandparents sold at a flea market every Sunday for as long as I can remember in my childhood. I think they were there for almost 20 to 30 years. I would occasionally go with my own little table and my cash float full of coins and I would set up shop with a sign and I would very clearly write my age on the sign, which I think was a very clever marketing tactic and would sell these fabric bookmarks probably around the age of maybe eight. And then there's also another story that's become a little bit of a legend in our family where I took part in a school market day in grade three. So I was definitely eight and a half. It was around Christmas. And I decided to make Christmas gift tags. So my mom had some beautiful paper at home and I had some stamps, some Christmas themed stamps. And so I spent a couple of weekends stamping little bits of paper and tying tags on them and creating Christmas tags. And I remember I used an old fishing box um, opened up all cantilevered to display all of these tags. And the Christmas market, I think, was for one lunch break. And I remember I sold out. I made so much money and there was 15 minutes left in lunch break. And I went around to all the other stalls and I spent every single bit of profit I had. And my mom was there and she said, well, how did it go? You know, how much money did you make? And all I did was I was like, mom, I bought this. I even bought a really tiny Christmas tree. I had bought snacks. I had bought notebooks and this giant Christmas tree. And she sat me down and she said, well, you know, that means that you didn't make any money, right? (laughs) And I was like, no, but I did. I made loads of money. And she's like, yes, but you've now spent it all. And so I think maybe that was one of my first lessons in entrepreneurship and profit and what profit actually means. And then throughout primary school, I had sold at another school market where eventually it became so lucrative that I had hired my best friend and her sister to work for me. And instead of having just one table, which cost a certain amount, I up-leveled and I had three tables and it was branded. My mom had designed my logo and I remember it being so lucrative that at the end of a year, I was able to buy my own hi-fi system. And I was so proud that I had bought that one piece of equipment and it was mine. And I I think a lot of us probably have experiences like that or stories like that as kids and we kind of just chalk it up to part of something that we're interested in an experience that we've gone through and that it's fun to create something and go and have a stall and sell stuff but at no point were those super strong indicators that I was going to be a full-time entrepreneur. Much later in life, I was at university and I was working some part-time jobs. I was a video store clerk and a tutor and all those sorts of things. And I decided I wanted to start a little business on the side. My grandparents used to go to a lot of secondhand stores and there would always be really cool antique board games and things like wooden scrabble pieces. And I decided to make jewelry out of those. And I remember crowdsourcing my name for my business, which eventually became Moxie Made. And I applied for a store in 
in my local craft market. And I think this is where we're starting to see a little bit more of that shrewd entrepreneurship because I knew that my cost of my materials was so incredibly cheap that there was no way that I couldn't make money. So it was really low risk for me to to break even. For example, I would buy an entire box of Scrabble pieces. So one game set of Scrabble, which probably had maybe 70 to 80 tiles in it for around 30 rand. And I would create these badges out of them that said certain things. So joy, love, peace, hope, etc. And I would sell each badge at 45 rand. So I only had to sell one badge to cover the costs of my raw materials. And there were some interesting things that I learned through that entire experience. Um, I learned how to drill through dominoes. I learned that you can only make the word joy twice from one Scrabble set. And that was definitely a bestseller. And I learned how fulfilling it was to stay up late the night before, after a full week at university, crafting and making jewelry late into the night, sometimes not sleeping and then showing up nice and early on a Saturday morning, setting up my table and interacting with customers. And the best feeling would be when someone would come back and they were wearing my jewelry or around town, I would see people wearing the things I'd made. And that definitely gave me that exciting buzz. And I think the biggest thing it taught me was to look for potential and to trust my instincts when I would see something and go, ah, there's something there. So I would look at these old board games and go, well, yeah, I could I could buy a set of Scrabble for 45 Rand and I could resell it as a cool vintage set, or I could make almost 30 to 40 badges from it and sell each one of those at 45 Rand. And the same thing would go for typewriters. I used to make earrings out of old typewriters and I would buy a typewriter for maybe 60 to 100 Rand, but there's 26 letters and a whole bunch of other symbols on it. I would take off all the letters and numbers, file down the backs and create at least 15 to maybe even 20 pairs of earrings. And I think what I was doing is I was training myself to see the potential. And that's such a crucial skill in an entrepreneur. I also started my wedding photography business, which happened in an incredibly organic way and it grew as I grew. So as I got better at my craft and I shared my work, someone would book me. And if that person booked me, they might refer me to someone else and I would get to shoot more weddings and I would improve. And as I would improve, I would realize the limitations of my equipment, but I would have the money to buy better equipment. And it really was a very organic business that grew in the right way. There was also another short-lived business venture called Retro Let's Go, which was a one-day vintage festival that I put on. And to this date, it's probably one of the biggest, most proudest things that I did because single-handedly, I pulled off something that I had no idea I was capable of. And it was a one-day vintage festival where in the morning you would come and there was a market and people were selling records and vintage clothing and vintage style lemonade. And we had an on-site radio station playing 1950s music all day. And we had a makeup artist and a hairstyle so you could come and get your hair and makeup done. And in the evening, the entire hall got transformed into a 1950s dance. And working so hard and having this vision for this incredible big event and then pulling it off that day was one of the most thrilling experiences of my life. It was not at all profitable and it became quite difficult to recreate in a way that it could scale. And so I had to draw a line under it and move on. But that feeling of creating something bigger and better than you could have expected and being overwhelmed by yourself was exhilarating. And that's the high that you're probably always chasing as an entrepreneur. 
And finally, the last business I wanted to chat to you about is O Risotto. About eight months before my husband and I moved to London, we were up in the mountains for Christmas and we have a tradition of having risotto on Christmas Eve because Dylan makes an incredible risotto and it's one of my favorite meals that he does. And so on Christmas day, I was using the leftover risotto to make arancini, which are risotto balls. And we had been speaking about whether there was a way that we could make a little bit of extra money before we moved from South Africa to London and whether we could create a little bit of a side hustle and how interesting and rewarding it would be to see if we could work together. Dylan's really passionate about food and he's an incredibly talented cook and I absolutely love business and we thought well maybe if it's something food related. So we'd already been mulling over that but we weren't going to force anything we really wanted something to come to us and he and my mother were outside and I was just rolling these arancini and frying them and it suddenly hit me and I went oh my gosh this is this is the thing. This is this is what we're going to do. We're going to make arancini and we're going to sell them at markets and it makes so much sense and it's so clever and I just kind of got really excited and my whole body tends to go really hot and warm and I just kind of get this wonderful rush of adrenaline when I get these ideas and Dylan was a bit unsure about whether people would eat rice for breakfast which is you know a very valid concern and we mulled over it we chatted to a friend of ours who ran a restaurant and he was like this is amazing I can't believe everyone thought of it before and this was in so Christmas let's say it was January by March we'd arranged the branding and we had come up with a recipe and applied to be in one of the food markets in Durban by the end of March we were at our first market and we consistently would sell out we had three flavors we had mushrooms mushroom and mozzarella, butternut and feta, and cheddar and bacon. And we even developed a sweet flavor, which was like a sticky rice pudding with dark chocolate. And it was incredible. We ran the business for three to four months as we were preparing to move to the UK, we actually sold the business, sold the brand. And we really felt this wonderful sense of achievement that we'd kind of created something and launched it and gone from zero to something in such a short space of time. And we also realized that we really, really enjoyed working together. And so that kind of brings me back to where I started this conversation, which is where I was three years ago when I decided, well, I've now finished my degree. I've done these side businesses. They were great, but I really want to start this career. Two years later, lose my job and kind of find myself coming back to that space going like, well, wow, this is what I've always meant to do. And I think over the past year, it's been a year and a half since I lost my job and since I've been a full-time entrepreneur. And I think I've come to the realization that this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And it's been wonderfully affirming to look back on all the tiny little things I did, which just happened. And I just kind of followed gut instinct and followed opportunity and see those as evidence of instinct and of skill and have them stacked up behind me as experience. So this is where I am now. I'm a full-time entrepreneur. One of my businesses is my wedding photography business, which was a very strategic, well-thought-out decision. It's a business that I have a lot of experience and skill in. It's a business that is very is very flexible. You can really take on as many or as little bookings as you want. It's a business that is quite a lot of work, but over quite a short period of time. And it's something that I was well-prepared to jump into and not have to start quite so much from scratch. And so I spent the last year and a half really building that up to be something that is valuable, does good work, serves good couples and clients, but also brings in income that allows me to continue to pay for half of our lifestyle, to pay for myself and to run the business successfully. And that's in my mind replaced the role of a nine to five in that it is secure and stable income. And where I find myself now is looking ahead to creating what I've been calling 
calling a tiny empire, a tiny empire of small but meaningful and impactful businesses that enrich people's lives. And that's why I'm sharing all of this on this podcast for you so that I can be open and honest about that journey and what it's really taking. And if I look back, all of the businesses that I have started have been small, they have been part-time, they have been on the side with very little expectation and quite scrappy. And I take all those with me and all that experience with me, but I'm marching forward with more resource, more experience, more time and more strategy and focus than ever before. And it's so great to have all those experiences as reminders of what I am capable of, but to also be looking forward and planning even bigger things and bigger businesses and greater impact. And I think that's important for us to remember when you're in that moment of starting something new or you're going forwards, you're planning on doing more than you have done in the past. It's so important that you don't look at the things that you've already done as tiny and as insignificant. And I'm definitely someone who does this and goes, well, you know, it was just a market stall or it was just wedding photography. It was just a side hustle. And I'm trying to see those as as little badges of success and tenacity and evidence that I've done level one and I've even done level two. And now I'm ready for level three and four and five and taking all those experiences forward with me. And so I hope this episode has given you a little bit of context into where I am now, why I've decided to be a full-time entrepreneur for the foreseeable future, the experiences that have sort of shaped me and got me here so far, and also just a little bit of insight into the little businesses that have taught me things and ultimately given me confidence to know that this is something that I'm good at and this is something that I'm wanting to explore and dedicate myself to. In part two of the series, I'm going to cover the seven things that I've learned from all these businesses and my experience as an entrepreneur so far and that I'd love to share with you. And so if you're interested in hearing all the things that I've learned, that's in episode nine. As always, I let you know the things that I'm working on in my business at the moment. And I have finally come to the end of the chunky, frustrating work that you've heard about in previous episodes, episode five and episode six in particular. And I've really been working hard on making sure that my wedding photography business is stable enough so that I can explore all these new and exciting ideas in the tiny empire. My website migration is done. A lot of the behind the scenes work and strategy that I've been doing is complete. And I'm now ready to focus on the second business that I want to tackle this year, which is online education and resources for wedding businesses all around business mindset and marketing and how to run your business strategically, which is exciting to get stuck into. As always, you can follow me on Instagram at Michaela Karina. You can find the show notes at MichaelaLindsay.com. I send out a newsletter every two weeks, which you can sign up to in the show notes or on the website. And I'm always, always keen to hear any questions or thoughts that you've got. So if you'd like to send me a voicemail, You can do that over Instagram or there is a link in the show notes that you can click to and you can record a voicemail message that I will answer on the podcast. If you get a chance to and you feel so inclined, please rate, review and subscribe. I think those are the three things I'm supposed to tell you to do. Rate, review and subscribe so that you can hear more episodes as and when they come out. Stay tuned for episode nine with everything that I've learned from these little tiny businesses so far. And that's it. Bye.